Did you know that your personal preferences are holding your pastoral staff back? We all have opinions. I have an opinion about everything. Uh, you can ask me almost anything, and I'll have an opinion about it. Just ask my wife. But that doesn't mean that I know anything about it. Even if I don't know anything about whatever it is we're talking about, I have an opinion. And that lies, that's where the problem lies, is we all have opinions. We've seen that across the board. We see it on Facebook every day. Everybody has an opinion. But the challenge becomes when you and I as pastors, particularly those of us who are lead pastors, the challenge comes when we decide that our opinions or our personal preferences become standard practices within our church uh, functioning and how our pastoral staff works. When we are training our pastoral staff, if we are using our personal preferences as the way things should be done across the board, we create some problems. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because when we do that, when our personal preferences become standard practices across the board throughout our pastoral staff, then what we do is we become a lid, we become a ruler, and we become a bottleneck for our pastoral staff, for our church, and ultimately for ourselves. And that's what we're going to talk about today in this episode. So let's get started. So the big question is this. How do pastors like us who remain focused on the mission of Jesus and serving our communities without being distracted by everything in the world around us, how do we increase our effectiveness while living a lifestyle that doesn't compromise our health, our families, or our personal relationships with Jesus? That's the question this podcast is going to answer. I'm Dr. Brandon Party Cooper, and welcome to the Ministry Hackers Podcast. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Ministry Hackers Podcast. I hope you are doing awesome. It is the end of July. We are coming up on the end of July. We are starting August right around the corner, which means that fall is almost here. And I'm super excited because fall is my favorite time of year. Uh, those of you who are new with us here at Ministry Hackers, I want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Dr. Brandon Party Cooper. I'm the founder here at Ministry Hackers. Uh, and our goal, number one goal, is to help you live your dream life in ministry. You as a pastor and ministry leader, Discover what your dream life in ministry looks like. And as I said, for, for me, the fall is one of the best times of year because we get to go apple picking as a family. We get to go pumpkin patch, uh, exploring and picking out our pumpkins. We do tons of things in the fall as a family, and it is a wonderful time. But what I know, because I've been in ministry for 20 plus years and I've known um, hundreds and hundreds of pastors, I know that there are a lot of pastors out there who are not getting the opportunity to do fun things like that with their families because they're overwhelmed, they're stressed, uh, they have too much on their plate, there are too many things going on. And my guess is, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that's exactly who you are. You serve your, pa your, your church, you pastor them well, you give and you sacrifice. And at the same time, you're missing out on time with your family, you're missing out on things in your life that would bring you happiness and joy, hobbies, vacations, downtime, the ability to just go sit on your deck or in your hammock and read a good book. We miss out on those things because we serve and we give so much to those that God has placed in our trust and in our care. But what I believe is, is that when God called you into ministry, he didn't just call you to serve people, but he called you to live a fulfilled life. And for some of us, we just aren't doing that. And so what we do here at Ministry Hackers and what I want to invite you to be a part of is we help you live your dream life in ministry. Discover what it is, seek out what God's designed for you, and start living it. So you can pastor that growing church, pastor that growing ministry, reach people, be effective, uh, 
reach your community, make a difference, and at the same time, have time with your family, have a hobby, uh, go on vacations, do the things that you love to do outside of ministry. You should have a life outside of ministry, and too many of us do not. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to live your dream life in ministry, you want to help uh, you want help discovering what that dream life in ministry looks like, I want to invite you to go to ministryhackers.com slash mydreamlife. And right there, you will discover how you can start living your dream life in ministry and how I can come along and help you discover what it is and lay the groundwork and put everything in place so that you can live your dream life in ministry, pastoring your growing church, while at the same time, spending time with your family and having a fulfilled life outside of ministry. So again, go to mysteryhackers.com slash my dream life, and you can start living your dream life right away. So we've been talking in the last few episodes about developing a training experience for your pastoral staff. And the reason is because in order for you to live your dream life in ministry as a lead pastor, you have to have a highly effective pastoral staff. There really is no way around it. Um, there are too many things in your church, especially if you are a growing church, if you're a church of uh, north of, of, of 500, you know, you absolutely need highly effective pastoral staff. The problem is, is that a lot of pastors either aren't trained well, or they have uh, spotty training, or their, their training is all over the place, and it's not very systematic. It's not, there's lots of gaps. And so what we've been talking about over the last few episodes is how you can create a training experience that makes an impact on your pastoral staff, helps them to be highly effective, helps them to do what they've been called to do, helps them to be efficient and effective in whatever ministry that you've hired them to be a part of. And ultimately, so they can be effective for themselves and to pave the way for you to live your dream life in ministry. So what I want to talk about today is, is one of the things that we run into a lot as pastors, especially as lead pastors, is that we we love our personal preferences. I knew a pastor um, at one point. I knew a pastor who um, he pastored a mid-sized church. Um, he had a staff of, of, I think, five or six pastors on staff. And, um, and he was very talented. He had uh, a lot of great ideas. Um, but at the same time, he believed that everything had to reflect him. Um, he was the pastor of the church, and so his mentality was the church had to reflect him as the lead pastor. And I think to a certain extent, he believed that um, he was responsible for the church. God had called him to lead that church, and because of that, he became the uh, he became the filter that everything came through. And when it came to his pastors, he wanted them to all function the way he wanted them to. Now. In a good training experience or a good training process, there is always this balance of what are best practices and what are personal preferences. Best practices are those things that in ministry, we know these things work. So for instance, Sunday school is something that at, at, at one point was really effective, worked really well, and really moved things forward. However, at some point in the late 90s, mid to early 2000s, uh, it became apparent that Sunday school was a dying ministry model, that it was no longer effective. And that's when the rise of small groups started to come up. Now, here we are in 2021, and small groups is are, are pretty much a mainstay in most growing churches. It's become a standard or a best practice to have small groups 
as opposed to Sunday school. Now, I'm not going to get into whether or not that's right or we should have Sunday school or not. That's not the point. The point is, is that collectively, as churches across the country, we have found that small groups is a more effective way, a better practice in ministry than doing Sunday school. And so as a best practice, most churches have transitioned over to a small group model. That's best practices. Now, if you were like this pastor that I just mentioned a few minutes ago, the mentality there would be, I don't really like small groups. I don't really think that small groups are going to work here. I know this church. I know the people here. I know our culture, our community. I just don't think this, that, that small groups is the way to go. We're going to keep Sunday school. I'm not saying that's what he did. I'm just saying that was the mentality he had. Everything had to run through him. And so to follow that out, his mentality would be, I don't like this best practice. I don't care what other churches are doing around the country. I don't really care what's happening out there. I just know what's happening here. And we're not going to do that. We're going to do it the way I think we should do it. And uh, my personal preference is that uh, we have um, Sunday school on Sunday mornings. It's my personal preference. It's what I think works. Um, it's what I think our people, uh, you know, are, are into what they, they appro- uh, uh, prefer. And so we're going to go ahead and do that. Now, here's the thing. If you have Sunday school, if, if, if this scenario is playing out and, and this pastor had Sunday school, and let's say 80% of the church was attending Sunday school, then I would agree. I would say, yeah, you know what, where you are and what's happening in your church you have 80% of your congregation attending Sunday school, then I would say it doesn't seem broken, so don't mess with it. At the same time, you have 10% of, of your congregation is coming to Sunday school, and you're refusing to do small groups. Then your personal preference has now become an issue for the growth of church, for the functioning of your pastoral staff, and really, overall, the... Uh, it's become a problem for you as the lead pastor because you are striving and pushing and going to make something work that the best practices out there say are not working. And so what I want to do is I want to quickly run through why your personal preferences could be a detriment to the development of your pastoral staff. Again, we're talking in the context of your pastoral staff being trained and developed creating that foundation that your entire team is working from, um, creating a, an experience that they love and really honestly, it may be pivotal for them as they move into long-term ministry. And so why do your personal preference as the lead pastor, why can they become a hindrance? There's three, three ways. The first, they become the lid, your pastoral staff, uh, they be, become the lid of your pastoral staff. So here's the thing. You as the lead pastor are probably the best trained and most experienced pastoral staff member on your team. Now, some of you are younger and that's not the case. Um, but for many of you, that is the case. You are the most qualified pastor on staff. And so it would, it would make sense that you would train everything, you know, and everything you have. And, and, and even in uh, a previous episode, I talked about that, why you need to download everything you have and everything, you know, into your pastoral staff. However, if it's all based on your personal preferences, then there is no real outside influence on that. It's everything that you've experienced in the experience you've had over however many years. And so what that does is when your personal preferences become what you train and it's the only thing you train, well, that creates a lid 
for your pastoral staff. They, they really aren't able to grow beyond that because you have limited experience. Even with the most extensive experience that you may have, there are still things about ministry and about how ministry functions that you still have yet to learn and still have yet to know. I've been in ministry 20 years, and I know that there is a fraction of ministry that I have learned. There is so much more that I have yet to learn. And so if I were to place my personal preferences, the end all be all for my pastoral staff, I will create a lid for them that they cannot grow beyond because everything has to come from my experiences and what I know. So in that case, you become the lid. They cannot grow beyond you. The second reason why your personal preferences, why you don't want to just train your personal preferences is because you then also become the bottleneck for your pastoral staff. Everything has to run through you, the pro, all productivity. So let's just say one of the things that I see a lot um, as pastors, especially lead pastors, is they like to get in the middle of things that, um, you know, maybe they really shouldn't be in the middle of. So let's say, for instance, graphics. Um, I've talked to a ton of youth pastors or graphic designers who do graphics and, um, and they will create something and they will submit it to the pastor and the pastor wants to tweak this or change this or wants a completely different um, setup or whatever. And, and essentially they have to go back to the drawing board and start all over again. And then they bring a new one and the pastor wants to change it again. And what happens is the personal preference of the pastor becomes this bottleneck for productivity. It becomes the bottleneck for creativity and innovation. Um, you know, especially again, going back to the graphic arts example, graphics are changing, you know, uh, some of us, most of us who are boomers and Xers, uh, if our style of graphics reflects our age and our generation, then they don't probably work for, uh, where we are now. They don't work for, um, for most, uh, marketing efforts in our communities because we're trying to market to younger groups of people and, um, and, and younger families and all that. And so our personal preferences on the marketing and on the graphics are not going to serve us well. Um, if we are the bottleneck that everything has to go through to be approved, to be done and to get to completion. And this is why you don't want to just lean into your personal preferences when you're training and developing your pastoral staff. Because quite honestly, there are things that you just aren't experienced at, like graphic design, maybe. Um, and so you want to allow best practices to inform the training process so that your pastoral staff can grow beyond uh, you know, what you are good at and what you know. And at the same time, they can develop and, and produce and create and innovate and all those things um, without you being in the middle of it all. Uh, you don't really bottleneck everything. You allow them to have the freedom uh, to kind of run and you create boundaries. And again, I'm not saying that you give complete freedom without any oversight. I think you do give oversight. It's just a matter of not making everything subjective to, subjected to your personal preferences. Because your personal preferences can be very limiting, particularly when we're talking about productivity and getting things done and getting, you know, moving things forward and all that. You become the bottleneck for your pastoral staff. So that's the second one. The first one is you become the lid for your pastoral staff. Second one, you become the bottleneck. And the third one is you become the ruler 
for your pastoral staff or the ruler of your pastoral staff. And what I mean by that is they will begin, if you are training according to just your personal preferences and not best practices, then you will become the ruler by which they measure themselves. And you are a limiting ruler. There is a reason that no expert is the expert on anything. There's a reason why nobody just follows one person. We learn from all kinds of people. Uh, even you, your ministry experience and your ministry upbringing and how you came into ministry, you have learned from numerous people along the way. Whether you recognize it or acknowledge, acknowledge it, you are the product of countless other people who have poured into you, books you've read, podcasts you've listened to, conferences you've gone to. And so when you are training according to your personal preferences, what happens with your pastoral staff is they measure themselves up against you. And the biggest problem with that is, is they shouldn't be measuring themselves up against you. They should be measuring themselves up, up against Christ and who he was and how he approached the ministry and what he did and how he led and the lives that he touched and how he touched them. That should be the ruler that they walk their entire ministry looking at. You and I, as lead pastors, do not want to become the ruler that our pastoral staff measures up against. Now, I will admit for myself, I have pastors out there, uh, particularly Pastor Jim and Pastor Scott, who have been my pastors, who I've learned a ton from. And to a certain degree, I will measure myself up against them, not in a comparison way, but I will look at them and say, okay, they're really good at this. They've really excelled in this area of ministry. They've really developed. They really whatever. And I want to be more like them. And so I will use that as a motivation to push myself towards what they have learned and developed. At the same time, if you are training your pastoral staff well, and you are providing an environment where they can learn as much as possible, well, then they are. They are going to look to you and they're going to want to aspire to be at least as good as you, if not better than you. But if you're just doing your own personal preferences and you're only training those, well, then you become the ruler and the ultimate ruler for them to measure themselves up against. And quite honestly, most good pastors will recognize that and they will move on because they want to grow beyond the lead pastor. Not out of spite, not out of anything other than they recognize that Christ did things at a very high level. There are other pastors doing things at a high level. And you as the lead pastor cannot be the ruler by which your pastoral staff measures themselves up, up against. So those are the three reasons why you don't want to just do your personal preferences. You become the lid, you become the bottleneck, or you become the ruler. You don't want to be any of those things. What you really want to be is you want to be a facilitator and you want to be a mentor to bring your pastoral staff into a place where they can grow and learn and develop and innovate and have great ideas and do things in, in ways you never thought of. And so that's why best practices are really the best. Let me give you three reasons why. <clears throat> the reason why best practices are the best is because they've been tested through trial and error over time. So again, let's go back to the small group model uh, example. We have watched over the last 15 years small groups be used in a very effective way to uh, deepen relationships, to connect churches, to help small churches uh, reach people in their communities, to help large churches become smaller in their relationships. 
we've seen small groups become very effective as a ministry model and really a best practice over time. Now, we've also watched things that you should and should not do in small groups. There are things that have been tested um, that have not worked, and so we've moved away from them, and we've uh, seen the things that do work, and we've leaned into those. And so over time, the small group model has proven a, a solid ministry practice. And so it's been tested over time, trial and error, and we know that small groups is a best practice when it comes to ministry. Now, does that mean that small groups will always be the best practice? No. It will change. But for now, right now, it's one of the best practices when it comes to ministry. And that's why best practices are the best, because they are tested over time through trial and error, and they have proven themselves to be best practices. That's the first one. The second one is that when we do best practices, when we focus on best practices, what we do is we create a knowledge base as a standard. And so what, what one of the problems that I've seen in ministry is that as pastors, we all do our own things. And some of us are a little bit uh, territorial about how we do things. We don't share very well. We don't tell others what we're doing and how we're doing it. Uh, we just like to keep it to ourselves. Well, when we do best practices, what we do is, is we start sharing together. We all learn collectively. And as uh, what I believe is the proper way to go about ministry is as members of the kingdom of God, and particularly as pastors and leaders within the kingdom of God, when we share best practices, we create a knowledge base that we all have, a knowledge base that we all operate from, and a knowledge base where we can all work from. And so when you're training up your pastoral team, when you are sharing and developing and teaching the best practices to them, what they are is they are tapping into that knowledge base that is collectively built over time through a network of pastors. So a lot of churches who are um, operating in um, kind of a network fashion. So, you know, you have this, you know, maybe in one city you have a network of churches that are all working together. or You know, maybe you, you have a network of churches that span all across the country, but you all operate the same way. You all share best practices. You all share how you do it. Even graphics get shared across the board, all of that stuff. What it does is, is it cuts down time. It, it uh, it creates a more space for creativity and productivity. And what it does is it allows everybody to tap into that same knowledge base so that you can, um, so that you can do the best practices and tap into them collectively and share collectively. And everybody, everybody networked in that, in that knowledge base gets better over time. And so if you were to look over, you know, the span of 20 to 50 years, what you would see is pastors getting better and better and better and better because this knowledge base is growing and growing and growing. So when you are teaching and training your pastoral staff team, when you're training them on best practices, you are increasing the overall quality of pastors across the board. So that's the second reason. And the third one is it gives you more time. When you are training best practices to your pastoral staff team, what it's doing is it's giving all of you, you and your pastoral staff, more time because you're not reinventing the wheel. You're not reinventing what's already been done. You are tapping into a knowledge base that everybody has access to and you're learning best practices and you're training best practices. So when somebody has a question... Then you just go back to that knowledge base and say, okay, what's the best way to do this? How's the best way to approach this? And you create this knowledge or you, because you tap into the knowledge base, you create this gap of time that you're not having to spend reinventing the wheel, which means that 
you have time to invent something new, whether it's a new ministry practice, whether it's a new approach, um, whether it's creating a new event or creating a new ministry in your church, whatever the case is, or maybe it just means you get to go home earlier and spend time with your family, or you get to put some time into planning that vacation you've been dreaming about. It gives you more time because you're, you're tapped into the best practices across the board in ministry. And so that's why best practices are really the best. They've been tested through trial and error over time. They create a knowledge base that can serve as a standard and it gives you more time so that you can be more innovative, more creative, and have margin to live your best, your dream life in ministry. So that's why I believe that you need to stop just using your personal preferences. There's a time and a place to to sprinkle your personal preferences in as the lead pastor who's called by God to lead your church and um, guide it to reach your community. There is a space for your personal preferences, but it should be minimal compared to standard best practices across the board that pastors all over the, the country are using to make a difference and reach people in their communities. I, I trust me, uh, it will be much easier for you and it will help your pastoral staff team, not only while they're on staff with you, but like we've talked about in previous episodes, it will help them be better pastors long-term, help them be sustainable long-term as they pastor and reach people through the course of their career in whatever context, in whatever place, whatever community, whatever church they're in. And that's ultimately what we want. We want to train pastors up in such a way that they are effective long-term advancing the kingdom of God, whether it's at our church or at another church somewhere in the world. All right? So I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day, and I will see you in the next episode.